Welcome to the Place Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Unger, editor of Place Tech. Today, I'm here with Tom Wilcock, Director of Innovation at Hollis. How do you do, Tom? Hey, Paul. How are you doing? You are right? Very well. Very well. Hollis is an international independent real estate consultant. And Tom and I last caught up in MIPIM in Cannes a few weeks ago, uh, where Hollis had a great presence and hosted some fascinating debates. How was it for you, Tom? I thought it was, fant- it was fantastic. It was my first MIPIM that I've been to. I'm not from a real estate background. And um, the first, uh, my first time going to MIPIM was supposed to be down in 2019, uh, sorry, early 2020. And of course, that didn't happen because of COVID. And so, but yeah, really, really interesting. I thought it was really, really good. Well, yeah. what, what were your takeaways? Yeah, I, I thought it was it was so exhilarating, really, to have everybody back together. Everybody's networking with people from all over the world, and there's a sort of compound effect. There's like a hive effect of the energy of everybody else is networking as well, um, and and getting everyone together was was just brilliant. And and you, you re-energize the the business, your ideas, your role, um, and it really sort of propels you into the rest of the year. So I love it. And it was it was great to be back. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, so, so one of the things people were asking there, and they're always asking is what's the big trends right now? Um, prop tech, uh, property technology has come a long way in the last few years. Um, and I thought it would be Fun to have a quick fire walk through some of the uh, the mega trends in property technology um, today. If you're up for that, Tom, yeah, really, really happy to do that, Paul. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure that we have a quite interesting discussion. I think that as I think the challenge is going to be how do we actually start, you know, keep it with it, you know, time bound, etc. Because <laughs> this sort of thing, the two of us get going, we could go on for hours. Absolutely, maybe maybe we'll do a do a series on it. Um, <laughs> So, so let's let's dive in, um, and uh, we'll, we'll unpick, unpack some of the mega trends in property technology you should know about, and ones that you can start doing something about today in your business. So, so Tom, let's dive in. What's your first mega trend? My first mega trend that I've seen really is I'm just going to call it visualization. So the use of visualization and contextualization in real estate to help make better and more cost-effective decisions. And I've seen this happening on a number of fronts. Firstly, it is, you know, from the use of 360 tours, you know, where there's been Matterport and people have been doing that on the residential side for some time. But seeing increasing use of that sort of technology in deal flows, which is really, really interesting. You know, we've got a product out there that has done something. It's it's been really, really good for us, actually, in terms of, you know, um, portfolio sales of buildings and things like that. Uh, But also that then starts going into gaming engines as well. And one of the things that struck me at MIPIM was, you know, there's quite a few people there starting to use gaming engines as well for, you know, for visualization. I'm not a surveyor, you know, so, and I've been in banking for the last 20 years. And when I joined Hollis in 2019, one of the first things I said was, well, why are we sending so many people out to site? And I started working on a really high resolution 360 degree tour in our product for it. And so when COVID hit, we actually we were very very fortunate that we had a very a scalable solution and 
which enabled people, potential purchasers of buildings, to be able to go around their building, understand the building, or you know, look at something that they're interested in buying, and to be able to make a decision on that. So, you know, we've no, numerous use cases of people from the Far East buying buildings in London over the high, uh, over COVID. Banks in Germany releasing funds to developments down in, in in Spain without having to visit. So, completely reworking the workflows on that. It's really fascinating. And it also, I mean, not only does it save costs, but then can start to be used in the remainder of the deal flow of it as well. So, you know, if there's an issue, well, what is the size of the issue? Not only can the potential purchasers look at it, but then also, you know, the insurance providers, you know, the underwriters, you know, can have a look at it. So rather than say something getting stuck for two or three weeks, potentially at the end of it around insurance, well, everyone just jumps on a call straight away. You can see this is the issue. This is the size of the issue. Can we insure it, etc.? Okay, what's the impact? Let's crack on. And so that's one thing. That, and that's a relatively simple thing that I've just talked about there. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think it's like revolutionized real estate just, just over the last couple of years. And, and something that would have been seen as quite futuristic to have virtual tours and people would have thought, well, I've got to go and see the bricks and mortar and touch it and taste it. Um, it seems to, from what you were saying, all the use cases there, it's been welcomed with open arms and accepted now. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, it has. I mean, of course, it's been done through necessity, hasn't it? It's been done through the you know, necessity of the COVID. But it's one of the things that we've all seen. I mean, I mean, the world generally has changed so much because of COVID and the workflows. I mean, more change happened in GPs, you know, in the NHS within two months than that happened in the previous 20 years, you know, in terms of use of video calling. You know, we've all had to adapt. And of course, is it going, that's sort of one end of the pendulum. But I think, you know, is, is the pendulum going to go back to where it was in terms of the, everyone having to go to site all the time? No, I don't think so. I think, you know, the, this sort of side of thing and visualization and contextualization of data is really here to stay. Okay. And your second one is something not too far removed from visualization? Yeah, I think so. So, BIM, my second. So, I think we're finally going to start seeing an increased usage of BIM. And I so for, for those that maybe don't know, just explain what, what BIM is. Oh, so building information management. So so the use of Revit models. And so you actually build a model of a of a building. And then you start putting the specs associated with that building in there. And it's something which has been required on certain government work for some time, but there hasn't been a massive usage or uptake of BIM. And I can start to see that we are going to see an increased usage of BIM. And this is coming from, this is kind of like a pincer movement associated with this. On one side of things can be regulation. So post-Grenfell, you know, one of the things coming out of that is the golden key set of data and, and, uh, and, and the new laws are so then coming in around that. We don't yet know the details about that, but BIM is the ideal place to be storing that data and that sort of data from a golden key set of data. You've then got some really, really interesting technologies starting to come off the back of that. So um, there's a UK company, I think it's called Build, Build Dot. I think it's that. And it's, um, they take a BIM model and then using 360 technology are then mapping into how far complete is a particular project. So you say you've got a grill, you've got a grill on your BIM model, has that grill actually been installed? 
this is like quite game changing, right? In terms of I mean, what he's starting to see people re-engineering their entire workflow. So instead of like BIM before being seen as, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll do, maybe I won't sort of thing. Now there's some real benefits to it. And he's going to start get so there's two, two sides to those benefits. Mm. Then, as I said, the regulatory side, but also then the technology side of it as well. So is, is this what, what we're talking about here? Is this the same as a digital twin? Yeah, yeah, good question. So loads of people, I think lots of people got different ideas about what a digital twin is. So in my understanding of it, how I would class a digital twin is that you're then starting to stream in IoT data into a representation of that building to be able to understand what it what is going on. So, so you're getting into performance and live real time sort of data. Um, to understand what's going on in the building. Exactly that. I mean, every 10 years, we go through a fundamental shift as, as, a, as a society, and that's caused by changes in speed of data networks. It happens every 10, 2, 2G to 3G, 3G to 4G, 4G to 5G. 5G, one of the things that everyone talks about with 5G is the, is the, is the change in speed from it. Well, yes, it's going to, and it's, and it's going to be very fast. Another change is going to be latency. So suddenly the use cases, operating at its fastest, the use cases come down to sub 10 milliseconds, which is as fast as your brain perceives reality. So the whole use cases around um, augmented reality and things like that uh, start to come to the fore. The other side of that is number of devices that can be put in per node. So you can have up to a million devices per node put in, which is where IoT sensors start to come in from that. So we've already got clients who are starting to move away from SFG 20 maintenance requirements on their kit and starting to put in preventative maintenance monitoring from IoT sensors. So the business case being on this, that is still avoids, you know, breakdown maintenance because that's what SFG 20 is supposed to do, but then also reduces the maintenance costs associated with that because if the kit is in very, very good working order, that's the, um, you, you then don't need to maintain it as much. But there's so many use cases then for IoT sensors. So, I mean, all the normal ones, like which rooms to clean? Has anyone been in that room? If they haven't been in that day, don't clean it. Which toilets need the soap refilling in it? You can get little sensors there around that. Also, what is the footfall? But all of this, for me, is when then starts coming to, this is going to, all of this sort of data is going to start coming back into the valuations of the buildings as well so this as part you know as part of the sale process well what is what data do you have associated with that building how then can you start optimizing that building to make to, to make that building more valuable from it i th- also think that uh, another sensor i haven't really talked about yet so is air quality sensor data is going to become a lot more important loads yeah. of re- loads of research come out covid etc about you know air quality but then also some stuff around in terms of um your uh, not mindfulness but how intelligent you are as well you know if you're surrounded by lots of you know really, really polluted air you you, you your output becomes um, suboptimal from it, you know, from your, your thinking. So really, so all of that sort of data streaming together in models, etc., with visualization is really, is a really, really interesting space for me. Yeah, it's powerful. I, I was going to ask you about air quality. And um, do you think we'll get to a point where they'll, it'll be public and occupiers, anybody will be able to see what the air quality is inside a building when they're assessing whether to take space, etc. Oh yeah, I can definitely see that occurring. 
I can definitely see that occurring. And, you know, and you start comparing outdoor air quality to indoor air quality as well. I mean, this is part of some of the certifications that are out there. Some of, you know, some of these external uh some of these external organizations in terms of you know, indoor and outdoor air quality, I can see that exactly being streamed in and it becomes, it, it will become a very important part of, you know, choosing, choosing a space. Um, I believe so. Yeah, absolutely. And then it affects the, the way that cities are, are governed as well and things like congestion charging and, and the public policy that sits around the buildings as well, which we've seen in some cities where they're trying to bring in emissions charges and and things like that as well, especially if you get into, like, say, the health benefits and the performance of productivity, uh, links to diseases and things we're much more aware of now because of COVID and the airborne and the lung capacity and some of these uh, very serious implications. Um, It's an interesting one on sensors. I think it's one of the two or three big areas of tech that we saw accelerate during the last couple of years when suddenly overnight property companies could see the benefit of being able to monitor and manage buildings remotely and not having to send people out or have them on site when it's there's maybe a public health hazard to them or, or, or just in terms of normal asset management you know this whole thing you know we started at the start of this talking about visualization didn't we well just actually understanding well where something is rather rather than being locked away in a 2d plan in somebody's drawer you know well what does this site actually look like you know if you've got multiple sites you know and something happens you know it's um i think that you know the benefits are multifold and, and how easy is it for somebody if, if you know i'm say i'm a property asset manager i've, I've been doing things that very manual way sending people on site checking for um, legionnaires or whatever it is in the water. And how do I move from that world into a sensor-managed IoT world? If I'm, you know, I didn't train as a techie when I qualified as a surveyor, et cetera. What, what would be your advice to people? Engage with people who know how to do it, you know, to begin with, um, to learn it. My viewing of, you know, real estate is that um, as a market, generally a little bit behind in terms of technology adoption. You know, everyone still thinks that Excel's amazing. You know, I've been in banking for the last 20 years. And, you know, the one thing you try and avoid is Excel, if you possibly can. And, you know, so I actually think there's there's a whole amount of um, increasing technology adoption, but awareness, you know, throughout real estate that that actually needs, that needs to occur. You also need to make sure, though, that you're not getting... Get, that you're not putting in solutions which could then become very, very quickly redundant. You know, technology moves on at such a pace that you actually need to make sure that you're making wise investments around, you know, around this because it's a, it's very easy with technology to spend an awful lot of money, which then becomes utterly obsolete within about five years' time. So yeah. actually, it needs to it needs to be some very, very careful uh, choices around how to incrementalize your way into it. And, and property is a very complex business as well. There's there's lots of different stakeholders. There's lots of consultants and companies involved at different parts of the building cycle. Does that pose challenges when you've got one consultant that maybe or supplier that installs the the sensors and the switches and the wiring, but then somebody else comes in later and they're the appointed property manager for it and. How, how do you navigate that? It, it will do, won't it? But it all has to be 
thought out in terms of a carefully thought out long term strategy. You know, in terms of just going for something nice, bright and bright and shiny because you think that's what you want to do, and you know, and spending a lot of money on it doesn't necessarily mean it is the right long term decision. And it is all about having a long term strategy. And you know, you can see that within our client base, there are some of those clients who have definitely got a long term strategy around it, and there are those that don't have a long-term strategy around it, but actually carefully thinking about, so I'm very much in my innovation efforts, I'm problem-led. I am not looking, uh, so it's all very well, so I could spend an awful lot of money about doing lots of really, really blue sky things, but no, I and you ha- it has to be problem-led. And I would have thought that most boards of property firms should be have should have data as one of their board agenda items. What are they doing? What is their strategy? What do they want to achieve? And then thinking long term about it rather than oh, this is nice, bright, and shiny. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, yeah, we haven't we haven't really touched on that. That all, all these things are, are going to throw off lots of lots of data that has to be organised and structured and and presented in a meaningful way otherwise what's what's it all for yeah what's the point all you're doing is paying for space you know but actually how do you actually strike what are your core what's your core database design for doing that again what problem are you at what problem problems are you trying to solve yeah from that because that then starts streamlines it you know streamlines it down okay so on to um we're doing well um on to the fourth one what's your next trend tom Drones. So I'm a, I'm a drone pilot. I was originally brought into Hollis um, around around building a drone team, and we use drones every single day of the year, or barring weekends. But you know, building inspection, mapping, 3D modeling, using using photogrammetry. We use that now. Really, really beneficial to us. A lot of people start making a comparison between you know a cherry picker and a drone, and um, cherry picker. Very good, but you're getting a point view of something. Are you ever going to? Is a drone ever going to be able to beat though a cherry picker? Somebody from a sphere sticking their hand in a gutter and actually, no, it can't do that bit. But you are seeing the entirety of a roof. So if we're doing a half a million square foot warehouse roof, we're flying the entire thing. We aren't looking at it from the outside going around. So so we're able to capture all of the data associated with that roof so thousands of thousands of photos and then present this is right back to the beginning of what we're talking about present all of that data in context so where are the issues associated with it and you can with you can start to see with cherry pickers potentially you know if it's a really difficult part of the roof to go and see well that's going to be where the problems are on the roof because people won't if you can't get there with a cherry picker to view it i bet people haven't done the maintenance on the roof you know, in that part of it. So we use that now an awful lot for so sort of remote sensing, getting into thermal modeling as well um, from that. So you know, so you, so using radiometric um, thermal drones as well. So yeah, for, so for looking at PV deterioration, so photovoltaic deterioration, but also for U value monitoring in terms of you know thermal leakage from a building. You can see with the green uh, with green agenda and net zero, it's all very well saying that you have an EPC A rated building. Well, prove it. You know, in terms of you know, have you got heat leakage coming out? What actually is really occurring on that building? So that's where that's where we are now. 
it becomes really, really, the whole drone thing has become really, really exciting though. Um, so drone operations largely in the UK now are sorry, limited to um, what's called visual line of sight operations. So maximum 500 meters away from you and 120 meters up in the air. We're on the cusp of something called beyond visual line of sight operations. And so COVID has allowed some trials to occur, uh, you know, around um, so medical side of things. So COVID samples being flown around in Essex, I believe, where the pilots are located in Leicester, start potentially starting a drug trial, which um, as well for distribution of drugs from Portsmouth Hospital to the Isle of Wight. So it can take two or three hours by car to get drugs across on the ferry, the vagaries of the ferry. It's a 12 minute flight. Hmm. with a beyond visual line of sight drone with the pilots located in Leicester. And, you know, several solutions now coming out, uh, potentially coming out, say, you know, drone and box solutions, where you have a drone permanently located at a particular site, which is then able to carry out operations from that site, but with the pilots not there. This is game-changing in terms of inspection. So repeat inspection, gathering data sets for the deterioration of assets over time, you know, what is going on? Or say for security, you know, what, what is, you know, something's happening on that site. What is happening on that site? For mm. insurance side of things, there's some really, really, inter- it's really, really interesting. Then, if that isn't exciting enough, then you start getting to what I'll just call, say, drone 2.0. What about if drones can start interacting with buildings? There's already, I mean, a number of years ago, I think it was one of the universities down the South Coast did a, a research topic around, well, using drones to change um, light bulbs on streetlights. I'm not sure I'm not sure what the results were, but you get the idea. What happens if drones can then start doing maintenance on buildings? Why, why do you need to send people onto roofs, et cetera? So, yeah. and so the whole thing, the whole space is really, really exciting. And, and the whole sort of urban mobility and the, the future of travel, um, whether it's deliveries for retailers and catering or it's passenger taxis, flying taxis being trialed now. And later this month, you've got the um, very exciting urban air in Coventry that's opening yep. um, and they're planning 200 sites like that around the world um, so it's something that is you're starting to see now that architects and planners designers are, are thinking about and, and, and putting into uh, proposals for future sort of urban urban schemes so yeah lots and lots of potential there and and, and what does it look like cost wise compared to uh, the sort of old way of, of doing things when it comes to drones are you talking about inspection drones yeah like go back to that use case with the roof what is is that is that cheap is expensive obviously it depends on the size of the roof but it's not significantly more i mean it's more expensive than 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 cherry picker but you're gathering way much more data from it and you know and it then becomes repeatable so i mean it's you know it's um you know thousand two thousand pounds sort of thing you know and, so and, it, and, and if you're spotting things that couldn't be spotted before then what's the cost of not doing it we had a case um where one photo enabled a client to get an entire new roof so that was one photo saved the client i think it was about seven hundred thousand pounds yeah which is is pretty pretty compelling and and the last one is is a very interesting one um that uh, I think definitely is one of the, the you know the top two or three that keeps coming up that you can weave across all of these that we've looked at the trends so far today when you talk about forecasting and predicting into the future. Um, what's the the fifth and final one, Tom? 
artificial intelligence is going to be, it's just going to be game changing for surveying. I mean, in in so so many ways. So I mean, I was thinking back at this. You know, obviously prepping. You know, uh, for for today. And you could probably say, even though I'm not a surveyor, you could probably say that the whole surveying process hasn't changed that much in the last 100 years. You know, go to site, analyze the data that you've got, provide the advice to the client. You know, that's that is the surveying value chain. You know, yeah. as it were, and AI sort of heralds the opportunity to make the process so much more efficient. So, I mean, just in the small things that we've been doing and testing around this. So, we've been testing sort of triaging drone acquired imagery for, um, for roofing defects. So, I just I was using some you know off the shelf AI software, and I quite quickly built an AI classifier that was able to differentiate between cut edge corrosion. And dirt. It's one of the things. So is that cut edge corrosion? Is it early stage cut edge corrosion on the roof, or is that dirt? And the initial and the initial results appear promising. So that's just in a very very limited side of things. But if you think about the ability then to provide to say do a first round of QA over a surveyor report, the ability to provide consistent training to surveyors, the ability then to start checking the consistency of advice given to clients. This is all really, really interesting fields of development, you know, for AI. I'm not saying that, you know, we don't need surveyors. Of course, we need surveyors. And we're always going to have to have a human in the loop. I mean, computers are really, really good at doing certain things, you know, when when they're in certain, when they're in normal bounds. It's when things go outside of that, that humans are really, really good at spotting that. Just saying that the whole process can be made, the whole surveying process can be made so much more efficient through through the use of this technology. And then we haven't even started talking about putting AI onto the data sets associated with IoT sensors around gaining insights about it. You know, the whole, oh, that's interesting that, you know, we haven't actually discovered that before. I mean, Google have had some, you know, spectacular results in terms of the structure of um, certain, uh, I was going to say biology there, but in, t- in terms of s- certain molecules that has been solved through AI grunt work as opposed to human minds doing it so that i think the whole field is just is just fascinating and at this stage i mean we're just at the start of it aren't we i think yeah. in terms of you know we can't even envisage some of the use cases that are actually going to come down the line on this there was a phase a couple of years ago where it was very much a sort of marketing gimmick if you ask me that a lot of tech companies started putting ai at the end of their name still um, is though right but- yeah, they're not really doing artificial intelligence. I mean, how how can people tell when it is AI and, uh, and when it's just marketing? Great question. Um, ask questions is a, is my advice. You know, we're talking about artificial intelligence, but as soon as anyone presents to me and says that we do AI on this, I go, really? Yeah, <laughs> talk to me about talk to me about it. What do you do? And you're you're right. Quite often you find that people, are, it isn't really AI and there's an awful lot of human intervention in it. And there's parts of the processes that have been um, roboticized, you know, for want of a better word in it. Irrespective of that, though, I still think, I mean, the field itself is fascinating and is is going to fundamentally change, you know, the whole real estate sector. Yeah, you know, out of all of these five trends, the biggest one is definitely the last artificial intelligence because the scope is so is so enormous. 
Yeah, the, the, the companies that are really doing it are, um, he says as a non-scientist, uh, like I know what AI is, but um, fr from what I can tell, the, the ones that have really demonstrated how profound it is, are, 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 you're talking about a sort of paradigm shift in property because it's property, the, the sums of money involved, the risk involved, means that it is by, by its nature very backward looking that, that people yep. co copy each other. They look at what's worked and what's sold in the past and what stayed up and all this sort of thing. So it's very much a, a business that looks in the rearview mirror. And AI ha presents the ability to say, we've taken all of the examples that have existed in the past and we're now predicting that this will happen, whether it's the time that a boiler will break down or the best design for that site that's likely to get planning and maximize the value of it. It's when it turns it and it looks out of the front windscreen at the road ahead, that is is, is potentially a, a, a very big game changer for, for property. Yeah, you're right. I think it is. I do think it is. And but as I said, I think it's gonna be it is it's gonna be also pretty much it could be all pervasive, couldn't it, across the um across real estate and, and we have no idea where this is going you know where where it's going to go you know i talked about you know a few minutes ago i talked about move from 4g to 5g well 6g is only eight years away you know in terms of the in terms of that life uh that in terms of that life cycle what on earth is that going to bring you know we've got so you know we've got it's a very very fast moving world and we and we operate as you said in this industry that is because of the risk involved is quite backward looking. And so it's, it's just a fascinating, really, really fascinating mixing pot, you know, to be in uh, real estate at this point in time. And yeah, love it, completely love it. Yeah, and, and there's obviously um, immersing yourself in um, podcasts like this and reading things like, like Place Tech and other publications, going to conferences like MIPIM and sitting at some of the, the sort of techie panels and things. But what else can people working in property companies, what can they do today or tomorrow that is going to start making a, a difference? And um, maybe they don't feel confident around AI and, and some of these big concepts. That What, what can they do to, to start their, their journey towards a, a more sort of modernized digital transformed future get curious about it start reading about it i mean i i read a variety um of of publications on a weekly basis to find out you know and and try and put try and put two and two together so i read wired magazine a lot i read the economist every week there's some great there's some fantastic newsletters like tldr that come out on a daily basis you know they're just talking about technology and what's going on i subscribe to drone side of things etc so just get curious about it would, 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 would be my number one side of things i mean there's some great um great books as well that i've read recently um one which is associated with the iot or will apply to iot as well it's called this is how they tell me the world ends by uh i think it's nicole pearlforth won the ft mckinsey book of the year oh yeah and, and it's um that's all about cyber 
So I've, you know, when I was in banking, uh, which is I was before coming to real estate, I mean, obviously a massive focus on cyber. And we're starting to see some of those moves now in real estate firms, et cetera, in terms of, you know, particularly the Ukraine crisis, but actually understanding the risk associated, you know, particularly on the IoT side of things around streaming data, because what would happen if you can start manipulating that data? You know, we've talked about the linkages to valuations, but if you get that wrong, think about think about the implications as if you're building data was hacked what would that what would that then mean for you and how do you ensure that you are secure as an organization um really really important topics and you know really really worthwhile reading up reading around that and i'd highly recommend that book this is how they tell me the world ends in terms of just for getting a really good general background as about cyber risk Wonderful. Love a good book recommendation. So it's uh, it's a nice nice one to finish on, and maybe cyber will be on the next next list next time we meet. Looking forward to it. That's wonderful. Thanks. Really, really enjoyed that brilliant discussion. Uh, hope you've taken something away for your businesses and your roles um, from that discussion. Thanks to Tom Wilcock from Hollis. I've been Paul Unger, editor of Place Tech. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Subscribe to our weekly news roundup for free at placetech.net slash subscribe.